drum roll, please. <laughs> <laughs> Start it off. Yes. Hello. Welcome to Not Only But Also. What's I'm Nicole Cottrell. That's me. I'm Renee Ronica Bahati Klug Sr. <laughs> well done. So we... Yeah, this episode. Hmm, this episode. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. We feel a little discombobulated, but I think it's going to all come together like it does. We have a lot of definitions and research, and I've got all sorts of books. We're going to give you pie charts that you can't see, bar graphs that you can't see. That's right. I have had zero glasses of wine today, but I have had a boba tea. So it's really anyone's anyone's guess at this point. It is anyone's guess at Mm -hmm. any. What is our topic today, Nicole? That's a really good question. (laughs) Well, we don't have a title necessarily oh, yet, which do. is okay. We possibly have a Maybe. Title. We have a working title. Working title is... Diverse, but also one. Diverse, but also one. So what is the... What is... What do... What does the American... What does? What does? <laughs> let's get my verb tenses correctly. What does the American church sell regarding race, diversity, culture... I like that you're asking me this question. Um, I like that it's coming right at me. You know, well, who else am I going to ask? I mean, it's the hypothetical, you know, you, what do you? I think that the church sells a little bit of a, not a little bit, a fairly decent, hefty size bill of goods on diversity, just diversity alone. And obviously, when we say diversity, we usually tend to think about race specifically, but mm-hmm. I'm going to, and, and we are going to talk about that a little more specifically, but in terms of just the evangelical church in America, there is a lack of diversity in a lot of things, not just around race. So whether that be race, <laughs> ethnic heritage, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, you know, between men and women, mm-hmm. it goes on and on and on. There's a real lack of diversity, but they pretend that it's okay and we don't need to worry about that because we are all one that's right in jesus that is right and it's it's why is it problematic i mean i could go a lot of different directions with why it's problematic i mean i guess before we do before we talk about why it's problematic do you want to talk about some of the ways that we've in the church, the church has minimized or told us we should minimize. Yes, let's do that. Our own diversity. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I want to start with this scripture. It's from Colossians three eleven. Here, there, here, there is not. <laughs> that's, it's right here. <laughs> here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian. Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So I think that that has been the one scripture yep. that has been used to kind of strap everybody in. That's right. Into there's neither male nor female, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither this nor that. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, if that's actually the case, then why have so many people not of whiteness and not of maleness yep. been excluded from leadership within in the church? I mean, that's the big question. That is the big question, mm-hmm. and and that's the biggest. And also, pro- did I did I jump the shark? No, did I that go was too no, quickly? that was great. That is the big question. And also, to add to that, my husband has pointed out based on that verse as well, the church generally is really good at picking and choosing the things within that verse that they do want to hyper-focus on and call it the differences out of, let's say, men and women. There are so many pastors that get up on Sunday mornings and talk about the differences between men and women and how the women's role is this role and the man's role is this role. And those are the things that they choose to emphasize the differences between. But then when it comes to things like racial diversity Mm -hmm. or cultural backgrounds, those are quieted and minimized yes even last week we are today is march um 6th 2021 about a week ago this so-called pastor and not a shepherd in my book um named stuart allen clark stood up in front of his congregation with a bible open that he did not (laughs) 
read from. No, no. It was such a prop. It was just a prop in his hand the whole time. It was time. so disgusting. And he essentially, listen, it it is so triggering to listen mm-hmm. to it's what really, he says. It's really, really triggering. So I'm just going to like high overview it. And, and I will tell anybody, if you want to watch it, please do so with caution and care. And... Um, just, just, and know that what he's saying is such a lie because that stuff can sneak in quickly. Oh, yeah. For and if you've ever struggled with any of this, the the horseshit that he talks about, um, it, Although, it's dangerous. I do want to do an entire whole episode on just this topic around what this gentleman. Yeah. So basically, in a nutshell, he's essentially I, yeah. saying that that he, as a man lets his wife know that if she is not beautiful enough in terms of thinness, makeup, hair, and doesn't look, quote unquote, butch, as he said. Mm-hmm. He, uh, He's a gem he of a human. won't look at other women. Mm-hmm. Women, That's right. But That's his gift to her. And this man is not in physical. Uh, no, he it, looks like the Stanley Cup. <laughs> it's right. He did say he doesn't want his wife to look like the Stanley Cup. He wants a trophy wife, not the Stanley Cup. But he's got a... Do a little I mean, looking in the mirror for himself. Listen, this guy has not done sit-ups in a while. <laughs> and and so my, my point here is that it was so much hypocrisy yeah. for what he's demanding and what he does not expect from himself. And it was so – it was gross to hear people laughing in the audience. Yeah. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so he got called straight out by Relevant, which I was thankful for because they have been calling stuff out. And he stepped down. He's in therapy now. Good. You need you need to go to therapy if you believe that your sexual um, purity is based on somebody else's ability to get your dick on up. Right. It's all this continued onus that's placed on women to do the heavy lifting in those – in all of that. It all falls onto women. But it points out the exact same thing that we're talking about, which is – the church wants to say, well, there's a huge difference between men and women in these areas, but we're not going to worry about the differences in all these other areas. We're only going to do, we're only going to point out the differences where it's maybe white male dominated be- and they're controlling the conversation, such as the case of this scuzzbag pastor. I'm sorry. It's, oh my God. Oh my God. Sorry. Keep going. Keep going with what? <laughs> so I have to text somebody because they're texting me like a 13 year old junior high girl and asking if I need anything from the store and I just needed to say no I do not need anything from the store so otherwise it would have kept they would have kept coming and coming and coming okay Evan can decide to leave that in or or edit it out it's true so okay so so do you have another quote or do you want to share some ways that the church has minimized some of our own diversity and then we'll get into my big quote yeah I want to say that and listen this is I want to I want to start here I want to go here next Okay, the, I should have turned my watch off because my, my watch was like, <laughs> 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 you have to me electronics. And it was uh, distracting me. Okay, so reminder here that when we talk about diversity, it's the many. And when we talk about culture, culture is not just your ethnic heritage. It is that, but it is also your generation, mm-hmm. when you were born, your gender, yes, your gender identity, your sexual orientation, uh, your socioeconomic background, mm-hmm. both how you were raised and where you are now mm-hmm. and maybe where you go. A lot of people, there are a lot of people whose cultures have not actually happened yet right. because they haven't walked into it. If you marry somebody of a different race or ethnicity, your culture then changes. Mm -hmm. If you move to a different country, all of these kinds of things are culture. So when we talk about some of these things, of course, the ones that are going to emerge at the forefront are going to be gender and race. And we'll talk about race as a construct. Um, I I just want to, I think it's important. No, that was good. I think that's really helpful. But how this happens. So, you know, we both, you know, episode one, hopefully you'll go back and listen to it. Nicole and I are both biracial. Um, by, or multi-ethnic, I think I like better. Because race truly is a construct. Yeah. Um, Nicole's dad is black and her mom is white. My dad is from India. He's, uh, you know, South Asian. And uh, my mom is white. And I grew up in a real multicultural environment. And then there were there was a lot of shift that happened where I had to separate from... Um, well, yeah, one of my Indian cousins molested me for the greater portion of my mm-hmm. life, and I needed to step away from yeah. my family, although my family itself 
was not guilty. Mm-hmm. It was too much of a trigger. Now, I will say that we have totally reconciled, not with, of course, the cousin, but with everybody else. And they are very, very close to us now. It, and we'll, I'll tell that story on a different day. But when I became a Christian and it, it felt like it was no longer viable mm-hmm. for me to also be Indian. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know that I, I was conscious of the color of my skin, but it didn't feel, and I, it didn't feel like I was ever allowed to take note of it mm-hmm. within the church. Yeah. And that also went for how I dressed in a yeah. lot of cases. Now, this is later when I moved into more of a legalistic kind of place. I remember one time I showed up on New Year's Eve to a prayer party. Oh, my God. And and look, I like to party, people. I like to come and I like to bring the party and I like to go to the parties. I've been like that till my whole life. And I showed up to this thing and I had like festive wear on it. Mm-hmm. Those mofos judged me so yeah. hard. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. They basically just wanted to bludgeon all the fun out of me. And anyway. So I, Does I just, it, do you ever, do you feel like shamed at all? Or yes, I felt so shamed. People, it's, when, like, it's when part the of woman your opened the door identity, and saw me right. like expressing fun, I right. think I had like streamers in my hair or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know, something ridiculous and not that over the top. Mm-hmm. Listen, I can go way more over yeah. the top. I wore a pair of sunglasses at work and somebody, one of my colleagues went past me like, oh, Renee, I didn't recognize you behind those glasses. <laughs> those right? glasses were the surface <laughs> of the sun on your face. They were so... They're so massive. They're so great. No, they were great. I loved them, but they were a statement. Look, Elton John's wardrobe (laughs) is not ostentatious in my book. Anyway, focus, Renee. I felt so shamed. Yeah. So shamed. And I think that's why now I sometimes go over the top is to make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. Right? I feel like that's why my my 40s are just making up for all the things that I couldn't do in my 20s. And I love it. (laughs) I know it's best. I'm so glad I'm here for the ride. (laughs) I know. You'd be thankful. Thank goodness. Be thankful. I just got a few (laughs) more lines, you know, when I smile. That's all I've got. Um, And so much more. Anyway, how about you? How did it happen with you? I think mine was like a slow slow death that I didn't realize was happening. I mean, I'm being obviously dramatic, but um, as a white presenting person, although ish, let me just say, yes, this, this was a very recent revelation that I just had like a couple of weeks ago. I was talking with Jonathan about something came up about white being white presenting. And I said, you know what though? I was like, the thing is I've, I have never had a non let me just know i've most black people not all black people but most black folks know that i'm mixed yeah they can almost always see it and identify it or they're just ask me most white people just assume that i am white however i have never ever ever had a white person say to me you know who you look like and then name a white person yeah. I have only ever in my life yep. had white people say to me, do you know who you look like? Yeah. And then name a non-white person, either a Latina or another multiracial or biracial woman, always my whole life, or black women. I've been yep. told I look like, you know, whomever. So I was thinking about it and I was thinking, it's actually really interesting to me because it's just mm. easier for white people to just assume I'm white. It's what we're talking about yeah. within the church. It's just easier because yep. they don't, people don't want to do the work or they don't know. And that's yeah. a separate thing. Not either, maybe they don't want to do the work or they just don't know. And but and they don't ask. And that's fine too because sometimes I don't want to be asked. But it was an interesting revelation for me of, no, I actually don't look white, um, but I look white enough to make people comfortable enough to not ask, hmm. to assume that yeah. I'm white. That's a separate conversation. But that's something that hmm. came up in my mind a few weeks ago. And I think for me, getting married to a white man and then we started going to a predominantly all-white church in a very, very white city, um, I'll just say in Scottsdale, was – it was kind of the beginning for me of I just started letting things 
go. Yeah. And I don't even think I was conscious of it to a certain extent, but I did definitely take the bait of, oh, I'm a Christian now. And like my Christian faith trumps everything else about me. Mm-hmm. You know, me loving Jesus trumps every other part of me of my identity. Yeah. And so I kind of just slowly like assimilated, honestly. Yeah. And I even hate saying it. It makes me, I feel angry at myself when I really think about it, the way that it kind of happened. But it's what it is. I mean, it's what happened. But I couldn't have felt like I could have gone to our all-white church in Scottsdale with my Tupac shirt on. Yeah. I would never have felt comfortable to do that. And I was wearing my Tupac shirt last week at our church. Yeah. Now, where I would feel 100% comfortable to do that. I mean, granted, it's in my home. But but where I feel completely comfortable to do that, I would not have felt comfortable to do that. And I started not talking about music that I listened to. And I started not talking about movies that I like to watch. And I started kind of just closing that part of myself off. Yeah. Because it did not feel safe or welcomed or there was not even a general like loving curiosity. It was just kind of, you know, quietly communicated don't talk about those things it's true and i think about some of the stereotypes that automatically emerge when people see a tupac shirt right they right. think about oh he was murdered or he was associated with this it's he all was the thug. negative he was this right he was, these right. negative associations the mm-hmm. slanderous language toward right. him and it's like um he also was a musical genius mm-hmm. and a and poet and a poet and all and a good actor right. uh, poetic justice like just really and and taken too soon mm-hmm Right. And and one of those things, and I think it's true. And I think about, you know, in college, it was so interesting. My One of my closest friends uh, in college still is black, but was black, is black. And we were with one of the few people of color on campus. And, you know, he was on this conversation that we did this summer uh, that you can, you know, we'll link to it on our website that we did through Culturally Intelligent. And Nicole was on that too, talking about the black experience. And what was so fascinating that emerged from my friend is that he was adopted by a white family. Mm -hmm. So I think about the people who in college, because that was my first Christian immersion. Right. So I think, okay, so he had this kind of white experience, Mm -hmm. even though he presented black. And I of course, had this like multi-ethnic experience, but I had just come out of an extreme wounding. Mm-hmm. So then I felt like, okay, just throw yourself into Christianity because this is what's going to heal you. Right. Yes. And I think that's what I felt like I could do. Now, I do remember taking my uh, friends to Indian restaurants and whatnot, and then they had to take all the Tums afterwards because mm-hmm. their white bellies couldn't <laughs> handle it. And... Yeah. I have gone to really good Indian food with you, and I have never needed times. I'm just it's saying. True. It's true. My Nigerian true. belly can handle it. I made it. Indian food tonight. <laughs> I made straight up chole. It's so good. And it's spicy. I can't wait. It is spicy. I'm very excited. Uh, I didn't mean for the jalapeno to be that spicy. Uh, it's spicy. Business. So anyway, but then when I got into that Fundy Church, that's yeah. where, and the thing that was so ironic, and I talked about it, it was a messianic congregation, and it was okay and actually desirable to be Jewish. Right. And everybody wanted, I mean, 23andMe wasn't around back yeah. then, but you better believe, yeah. you'd be like, I'm point zero 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 three percent right, right. Jewish. Right. That, I'm that was like the good stuff to claim. Right. So you could claim that, but everything else got eclipsed. Mm-hmm. But then when I moved to New York, I, you know, I, I told, I tell the, the Jhumpa Lahiri story. But then when I met Greg, Greg has this love of India and mm-hmm. Indian culture. And I think when we got married, even though he is white, I felt like he honored yeah. my Indianness. And then when we moved specifically, forget it, Colorado is not yeah, not Indian friendly. Not Indian friendly, not, <laughs> not progressive any, friendly. Right. I told you, I don't know if I've ever told this story. Oh, but this is the perfect time to tell it moving over to race. Or sorry, to gender. Um, when I had my daughter, Ariel, my first daughter, I had these Christian friends, female in the church, and then all of a sudden they stopped talking to mm-hmm. me. Did I talk about this? Story? I think you did on the mothering yeah. episode, but, but oh, yeah. do it, say and, it. It's important. And they, I finally figured out why they stopped being my friend is because I went back to work. Mm-hmm. And how dare a Christian woman go back to work. But this these gendered kind of things that happened. And then, you know, in Phoenix... Uh, there was a, a stereotype in Phoenix in the 90, uh, 80s that it was very, very white, and I think it was, but it's becoming more 
mm-hmm. multi-ethnic. I would agree. And I feel like the majority of oops, the majority of our friends are multi-ethnic. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helps me now to be more forward with who I am, how I am. That's good. What I want and with with all but with all of the things. Yeah, not, not just, just my the, ethnicity, right. but my um my gender, my my everything, all of my things. Mm-hmm. That's good. But in the church, though, you know, you know, moving to why I love this. I love this. Um, this is one of my friends, and he's actually on my dissertation committee. His name is uh, Dr. Jeff McGee. He recently came out of out with a book called One Human Race, and in it, he says that systemic racism is invisible to those who participate in it, but visual to those affected by it. So good. And I want to say this now because I think that sometimes people who are in the dominant precinct, so whether that's racial, whether that's gender, sometimes you don't realize how much power you have that feels really oppressive to people who don't share in that power. Mm-hmm. Like like whiteness, mm-hmm. right? Like maleness. Even women who have uh, aligned with gender roles, you know, based on maleness right. or male supremacies, that would, and then they would subjugate women like me who haven't come under that mm-hmm. to say, well, you're wrong. I've othered you because of that. Right. And this other quote, which I love it. Oh, it's so good. It's also from McGee. Privilege is a power and those who have privilege have control. Yeah. As we know, I mean, I think that's, this has been America's big wake up in so many ways for so many people. And I am seeing it inside the church and I'm thankful for that. But people starting to recognize that those with privilege are the people in power. They have yes. the control to, and, and and we're just talking about in the context of the church today, they control the pulpit. Yes. They control the message. They control what's being communicated in and throughout a congregation mm-hmm. and through a community. And these are not ideas that, that we hear one time. It's not like you went to a church, you know, that Messianic church one time and was like, oh, I better, you know, these things need to eclipse my, my true identity. It's not like, one Sunday morning on a big white church, I was like, oh, I need to quietly stop being, you know, expressing who I truly am. Yep. There are th- these concepts and ideas that are reinforced over time again and again mm-hmm. and again in lots of ways yep. through lots of different avenues yep. that become a new narrative. And I'll tell you another one that emerged in, in the gender scope was how many women made an assumption that mm. womanhood entailed being married with children. Mm-hmm. And so think about the examples that emerge. Yeah. The examples that emerge uh, from the pulpit, no matter who is up there. Mm-hmm. And it it's it very much uh, encapsulates the dominant. That's right. And then anybody who's not in that dominant, right. where do they, where are they supposed to live? Yeah, where does their diversity that's supposed to be quieted actually fit in? Yes. So that even makes me think of, and we have full plans to do probably a series of episodes on singleness in the church. Um, Singleness is another thing that comes to my mind. Like the people that are communicating the messages over and over again, singleness is something that's not talked about, mentioned. I mean, we know marriage is held up as the pinnacle of the Christian life. And so that's another example of diversity in the church that's then quieted or ignored, or even you're made to feel that you are wrong. Yep. If you embrace your singleness, or you should just be waiting and praying for a spouse. Yeah. That's just another example. And honestly, that goes into another kind of, I mean, this is nuanced and I'm working it out as I'm speaking right now, which could be quite <laughs> Do dangerous. It. You're a doctor. But I'm almost, I'm a doctoral candidate. She's a doctor I'm not, almost. I, I'm not, um, it's a whole year away. It's an N, it's an N, what is it? No, Ed A. D. Ed, a, oh, ABD. ABD. AB, all my dissertation. All my dissertation. Oh, well, dissertations are hard to write. But anyway, um, <laughs> Come on, Nicole. Where was I? Singleness and then the thing oh, with the, the thing. thing. So I think actually it's the idolization of sex mm. that creates the um, the dominance of marriage. Because if you can't have sex outside of marriage right. 
and you want sex, then you have to tout marriage as the be-all, end-all right. in order to justify the sex. Because you want to have the sex. Because you want to have the sex. Give me the sex. How so, do I get the sex? Well, you know. No, um, I totally agree with you. And, and so I you think, get the sex yes, by getting the marriage. That's right. And so, and once you get the marriage, you can have the so sex. So you have to have the marriage because so it, it becomes the thing. in order to yeah, have the sex. That's right. And then... To go to the target. To, to go to the target in your torta. <laughs> you go to the target in your torta. But that was like an Italian Indian right there. I don't know. But I'm was, not sure what happened there. <laughs> but so that's another thing that comes in these privileges. And it is, um, and, and you know, when you think about supremacies, and you think about male supremacies, white supremacies, marital supremacies, mm-hmm. these are, this is a, according to Macintosh, they are invisible, it's an, a supremacy is an invisible package of unearned assets. So that unearned part right there is the thing. Right? That's you have the word. not earned it. That's right. Like you, those of you who have found somebody to be with until death do you part, you haven't earned jack shit. That's right. That was a gift. You were gifted upon somebody. You got lucky. Mm-hmm. We got lucky. Yeah. We, we. Okay, because I'm in that privilege right. bucket too. All right. And where it is not easy to find a spouse. It certainly not. No. And a woman of valor who can find. Greg did. <laughs> Greg found a woman of valor, as did Jonathan, or a woman of something. And um, but all of these things, we have to remember this. And this is why I think it is so important for the church. Right now, the church is coming against uh the leftist and Marxist doctrine of um of diversity. Yeah. But people if you go back and you listen to Karl Marx and you read and listen, Nicole just mentioned I'm in a doctoral program and I have read not what freaking Rush Limbaugh said about Karl Marx, right. but what Karl Marx wrote said. Mm-hmm. himself. The whole system of Marxism is meant as a system of calling out power structures that seek to oppress other structures. Yeah. They're looking at hegemonic relationships, and you'll take a look at that. And those are looking at where is power unequally distributed, where there are certain people who are getting their portion and others are not, and how do we get the portion allocated to those who are not getting it? I'm sorry, but that sounds a lot like Jesus Christ to me. (laughs) I'm not saying that Marx is Christ, but I'm saying that there is a spirit of Christianity that emerges emerges out of Marxist uh, doctrine, if you will, that is not just a left of liberal concept. And you know what? If you want to believe that, then I will put right now that there are left of liberals who are more Christ-like than this righty-tighty, all the way over, who just wants to hold up supremacies. You are not advocating for the Jesus who died for your sins. You are not. And I am all done. <laughs> I am all done with it. I know. I can tell. <laughs> I can feel it. I, I, oh, oh, oh. It's the worst. Oh. Because you know what this Christ says? Listen to this. Okay, this in Acts, Paul says this. All right, and God made from one man every nation of humankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That is diversity, God-given of geography, culture, language, mm-hmm. all of these things. And then Revelation. And they sang a new song saying, and this is in heaven when it's all said and done, right? I think, I don't know, who knows? Revelation's a difficult book to parse out. All right, they say, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain, they're talking to Jesus, and purchased for God, now they're talking about us, with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It is not just white Men who speak English who are going to be in heaven. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm I this is the Renee show. I don't actually need to be here for this episode. No, don't say 
say that. I am just watching it all unfold. I'm all done. I, I said my, I made my piece. No, you, you're not all done. I know you're not all done. Okay, so here's another thing. I'll keep going since you're reading. No, I'm So when you I'm look good. at domination, all right, this is from Zeus Leonardo, and he's so good. Leonardo says this about the domination, that people who have domination, all right, these people who are rebu- <laughs> I just rebuked, what they have done if they've taken the particulars and they've dressed them up as universals, these little things that we think are good should be for all. Mm-hmm. But um, really, the particulars dressed up as universals of the white race actually try to speak for the human race, and that can't be. I love you that cannot so take a sliver of one culture and say that. If every culture doesn't adapt to our standard of Christianity, mm-hmm. then that they're out. Not only are they out, they are going into the fiery flames of hell. Oh, Hades. All right, Nicole. Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to. I don't know either. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. Listen, I don't really have. What do you um, think of all of that? Talk to me about I really dominance. Any, I don't really have privilege. anything to add. Dominance, privilege. I feel like you. I feel like you covered it all. So is that it? I feel like no. That's not it. How can that be it? <laughs> I don't. No, but what next then? Um, I wanted to comment on a couple of things. Good. One was um, on you talking about or the um. I mean you saying Jesus is more related to Karl Marx. I think that's I think we should pull that quote out as our next marketing quote for sure. <laughs> that's going to be a meme that goes up on Instagram. Maybe, maybe we should um, also we should, maybe should title this episode Jesus but also Karl Marx. That's absolutely going to be the, that's the new working <laughs> title. Um but to that point in that you were talking about power and power structures. And the thing and and I think it's really telling it, you know, Jesus didn't use the word power in the way that we are talking about in terms of power structures, but he certainly came to came and helped um, flip power structures upside down. And he, in a sense of, I wouldn't say it's Marxist, but when we're talking about um, the Sermon on the Mount, right? The upside down kingdomness mm-hmm. of what's actually distributed to people in a kingdom mindset and the people that are blessed and upheld and edified and seen as righteous in a kingdom mindset, what those people actually hold and have and keep in God's kingdom versus what we're, you know, on this earth. Now, does that have actual implications for now in the church? I believe it does. I don't believe that that's the full picture. We don't get to see the full picture on this on the earth but for sure i believe there are implications for how the church should be engaging and interacting like mm-hmm. if i believe scripture when it says in second corinthians when it says like i want to um edify the weaker parts i want to lift up the weaker parts of the body and hold up the weaker parts yeah. um then i have to believe that i can and i'm being asked to live that out now mm-hmm. and part of the way that we flip the american white supremacist construct of power and control on its head inside the church is to say, I'm going to raise up the parts yes. that are not raised up and that are not seen or given yep. their due honor, right? Yep. So to me, when we talk about diversity, that's part of it. Like, I just had this conversation with Jonathan last night. We were talking, there was a pastor, I won't remember his name and I'm going to get it totally wrong, but, um, and I, I'll put it in show notes if I ever do show notes. Um, and he was talking about, Jonathan was watching this video, and he was talking about how God had specifically f- called him to have eyes for the poor, mm. and not in a way of like, you just take care of the poor, but that God spoke to this pastor that healing is going to come to the church through the poor. Mm. And part of it is because it, they're the poor in spirit. Mm. And again, thinking of the Sermon on the Mount and how in our culture, right, American culture, yes, but American Christian evangelical cu- culture, absolutely, we do not uh, edify the poor. Mm-mm. We don't hold them up in some higher um, honor. We 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 
give some money. Maybe we say some prayers. Maybe we serve, you know, occasionally at a homeless shelter. But that's completely different. And then honoring those parts of our body, like our actual parts of our actual body. Yeah. And so when we talk about diversity, that's the other thing that comes to my mind. Like diversity is not just this blanket statement and it's not just a statement on race, although because race has been, you know, on the forefront of all of our minds so much recently, it's absolutely critically important. But God's church in terms of diversity is spanning all of these things. It covers beyond what we can even grasp and understand right it's the it's multi-ethnic it's multicultural it's it's rich and poor it's men and women it is the galatians verse living in a community communal life together because that i believe is the truest most beautiful reflection of god's people that we could possibly have so i don't really have any other point in that i would just that's what i was thinking of when you were sharing that I love what you're saying because I think it's so true. And I think about some of the uh, messages that come out of some of the American church about the poor. Mm -hmm. It's very much, well, you know, it goes back to like this meritocracy. Mm -hmm. You need to work harder to get, if you're poor, it's because you've done something wrong. Um, No way am I going to pay more taxes because, you know, you've done something that's gotten to where you've gotten. Right. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But in the same (laughs) breath, we'll send all of our money to Africa. Uh And it's this very interesting kind of, you know, uh, what's it called when you have a a dissonance um, where you can have all this empathy Mm -hmm. for people in other nations. And it's almost like this pitying thing. Mm -hmm. It becomes that. But people within your own neighborhood, you can villainize them. Absolutely. It's much much easier to do that. And I I find this to be grotesque because, you know, and when you think think about people in other nations, whether they're from African nations or uh, from the subcontinent, uh, Asian subcontinent, who come to the United States as missionaries. Oh, because you you better believe that mm-hmm. people from other nations mm-hmm. come to the United States as missionaries. Mm-hmm. They are shocked mm-hmm. to find out how little we actually embrace the spirit of the living God. And the one uh, thing that they have to say to to prove that is because of how we treat the least of these. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Here. I mean... That is, Jesus was very specific in that, in those mm-hmm. instructions. If you've given me water, if you've given them water, if you've given them food, you've done these things unto me. That wasn't a suggestion. And and I don't know, I mean, you're, you're talking on, you're touching on, we have this amalgamation of American, American, American exceptionalism yep. and nationalism. Yep. Um, that mixes in with Christianity. So it's, yep. it's. What's that word? It's um, syncretism. Is that the word? Where it's like it's a combination of like religion and ideas. And they come together and it creates this. Jonathan uses this term. It's a kind of a Frankenstein Christian faith. That's all of these. You use the word grotesque. I think that's very appropriate. It's this grotesque Frankenstein of all of these pieces that are put together that are supposed to somehow represent this revolutionary love god yes this jesus christ that i know and this frankenstein is supposed to represent this jesus that i know yeah and they have nothing to do with one another none whatsoever and when you i love the point that you made nicole about jesus's sermon on the mountain why he came keeping in mind jesus except for his gender was not a person of privilege Mm -hmm. he was from nazareth we talked about this before if you really look at the life of christ he he came about people couldn't understand how anything good could come from from where he lived people didn't understand how a carpenter's son could all of a sudden be this amazing preacher but he really did speak to power yes on the sermon amount he was empowering people but then he really did speak to the religious elite and he called them out Mm -hmm. and he's like listen you think you think that that you're doing what's right but really what you're doing is you are essentially putting uh stones around people's neck and seeking to to drown them if you will Mm -hmm. and 
I, so he, he did that and it was such a, it was a, he was a revolutionary when it came to that. And he was not this kind of white collar, uh, you know, grew up in Scottsdale, went to a private school and then, you know, made his way fully paid with the trust fund through Ivy league. Yeah. And he, yeah, he just was kicking it around in Rome, Rome occupied land under the heavy weight of yeah an oppressive government yeah and people forget that too all of yeah. the time yeah and he had dirt underneath his toenails yeah. like it this was legit and i want the church to recognize this i want the church so you know the dream and nicole uh hearkened unto this is was that that now we're not, you know, I hear these things. We don't want to kowtow. You know, we we don't want to, why should I now, um, why should we look at race and look at gender mm-hmm. and look at all of these diversities and point out to them when our identity should be in Christ? Mm-hmm. Because our identities are already in Christ. And now it's time to give honor where honor has not been paid. Yeah. And to recognize that, look, there are people leaving the church faster than we can imagine. Mm-hmm. And if in it, the, the, the heart of Christ is the heart of belonging. Yeah. And I believe that so often people who feel marginalized, unseen, and even rejected, that's the opposite of the feeling of belonging. But mm-hmm. if we as the church together can create messages of belonging, mm-hmm. create messages to say that we see you, we yeah. honor you, we we invite you, and not only do we invite you, but we're also going to hear you yeah. and we're going to implement your ideas because diversity means nothing unless we're actually implementing diverse ideas into the fabric of our institutions. Right. This is a message not just for the church, but for organizations, for uh, institutions, all abound. You have to implement the voices of everybody who is represented within your congregations. If you don't, they're all going to leave. I think I agree. And I also think, too, it's you're saying the, the spiritual reality of Galatians is true. We are all one. That's a spiritual reality. Yeah. Um that has that has to work itself out here and now and will work itself out in the time to come. But it's truth. But you can have a spiritual reality that doesn't then negate an another reality. Mm-hmm. One spiritual reality doesn't negate something else being true. Yeah. If they're both true and I mean the Lord rejoices in truth, then it's true that I still am a half black half white person and I am also one yeah. With my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's right. You are still Renee. You're still half Indian and half white, but you are still my sister in Christ. Correct. And then we can add all the other diversity, you know, box checks with that. All of those things remain true. I'm still a woman. I'm still these things. I'm still a friend, a mother. I'm still a sister in Christ. And so we get in this mindset that it has to be one or the other. Yeah. And we talked about why. We talked about white supremacy's influence. We talked about all of those things within the church. But it's our job, and we have the opportunity now, especially as we're on the precipice of what I really believe God wants to be clearing out Mm. of the church. We have the opportunity to speak these things and share these things. And you're talking about you know, being known and being seen. And I hope and I pray for people who are not in a place where they're known and seen that they're able to find that, that, you know, we... We know what it is to feel spiritually homeless. We've talked about that in in other episodes. We know what it is to be wanting and needing a people. And I do pray that people find those places because it's so critically important. But at the same time, I personally feel a responsibility for myself to want to speak on those things within the church where I can and how I can because diversity needs voices to represent it, right? Those voices have to be represented, have to be heard, have to be a little louder than they maybe have been in the past, and that's okay too. However that, however you find yourself doing that, if you feel led to do that, that I admonish you that you would, yeah. that we all would, because it's it's so important. 
And I love what you're saying about this, that some of those voices might seem louder at first because you have to educate. Right. I know. You've got to educate. And then the one thing that I want to say to bring it back to scriptures and and where some people, and where we've missed it again is even in the spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. You think about how some of them, like teachers and shepherds, have been very much uh, the ones... Who they're center have, stage. They're, they're, center they're, stage. they're given all of the, the, the praise. But scripturally, there are 10 others. There are administrators, apostles, givers, exhorters, evangelists. Um, servants, servants, helpers. Helpers, prophets. Uh, the scary ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, am I missing any? I don't know. I don't know. I apostles. may have missed some. I think I got... Sure. Leaders. 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 Yeah. You know, well, those, they're kind of... But the these are all... Biblical, uh, and the, you think about it, you know, if I were to go up to you and be like, well, where are your exhorters? Well, what's an exhorter? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah. But I know who the pastor is. I knew who the pastor who is. Also, I know who the teacher is. I'm just going to say, probably isn't a pastor right? because pastor means shepherd. Yep. Most pastors of churches are actually teachers yep. or leaders. Not that those are bad. Yep. They're needed. But you also need a shepherd to shepherd your flock. Side note, go on. It's true. So, and you think about that and you think the misappropriated even gifts that Mm -hmm. sometimes you put a person with the shepherd gift up on stage and they may not actually know how to teach. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, wait a minute. But they, you know what they can do? They know how to come alongside people Mm -hmm. and make people feel seen. Mm -hmm. But they're not coming alongside, they're standing in front. That's right. And then you've got a bunch of teachers who are doing whatever they need to be doing when mm-hmm. they should be up front, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then the exhorters. Nicole is an exhorter. And what do exhorters do? Admonish and ex- and encourage people. Yeah, they also come <laughs> alongside. Anyway, we that could that's a this is a completely different episode. We can talk a lot about that. But I think about even what the church the church has held up so many supremacies. And we even think about the diversity of gifts. And we say that some are better and others are yep. not. And this should not be. And I think about all of the re-education like, of Lauren Hill. We were just listening to her album yesterday, The Miseducation. One of my favorites of all time. It's the, the best. And um, But the re-education, the miseducation of the church has to be called out. And I feel like that's what we've been doing. And the re-education of it is saying... I'm not saying down with shepherds and down with white men. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying up with all everybody else. And that might mean that we quiet those who have been loud for a long, long time in order so we can learn about all of the others until we get to a point where everybody is leading equally. So good. That's, I think, so it's got to be loud for a time so we can re-educate and shift and then it comes into harmony. Um, and what you're talking about too, and I don't have the verse because I'm not that fast, and but I know it's in there. Um, Paul does talk about in 2 Corinthians about exhorting the other gifts. Yeah. He actually says, exhort the other members above you, yeah. the lowliest members. When I was talking about the body parts, yeah. he says the lowliest, those that are perceived as the lowliest, yes. not actually the lowliest. In the in the spiritual sense, they are the highest. And he says to exhort those yep. and, you know, give them the honor that's due them. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we've gotten so far away from. And we were talking before we started recording of um, why why it's really hard for the church and we have talked about a lot of reasons why it's hard for the church but one of the things that i had read from um ed stetzer who wrote an article in outreach magazine about diversity in the church and he was talking about diversity is sacrificial Mm -hmm. it takes real sacrifice and humility to embrace diversity in the church and that's really hard. It's really hard to get out of being comfortable. It's really hard to get out of doing what we've always done. It's really hard to put our own stuff aside. It's really uncomfortable for people to go up and say to someone who's different from them in maybe a myriad of ways and say, I want to learn from you. I want to know how I'm different from you so that I can be blessed by our differences, so that I can see another reflection of Christ because you're one reflection of Jesus. And this other person is another reflection of Jesus. And the more we reflect our own selves, the more Christ is reflected. I truly believe that. And that's definitely not a message the church ever preaches, but 
I believe the more unique we are in ourselves, the more we are reflecting Jesus Christ. A to the men. And that needs to be pulled out and put on a meme. But you are 100% correct that the church now, those who are dominant need to lay down their power like Christ mm-hmm. did. That's exactly right. And they need to allow for the others to rise up and they need to recognize that exactly what you said, that when when we honor diversity, it, honoring diversity begets inclusion. Yes, so good. And once that happens, it takes a little bit longer, but once that happens you end up having a whole church mm-hmm. that really exemplifies Whole scripture. church. Okay, we can maybe we are almost done, but Frank Viola uses the word, he says when the church is diverse, it's it's in its fullness. It, he ooh, uses that word fullness. fullness. It's I like in that. its fullness, yes. which is so beautiful. That's yeah. the picture. That's yeah. it. Because you have to remember that that one perspective is one perspective. Right. And if you are learning just from one perspective, mm-hmm. it is, it is, you are not full. It's, you're still empty. Mm-hmm. That's right. But learning from all of the perspectives, the generations, learning how things have been, the different cultures, the genders, the, all of the experiences, then, I mean, all of the, you, your mind, but it's scary to have an open mind. I know. Because you know what? There's no certainty. That's right. And it's uncomfortable. I mean, cognitive dissonance is a real thing. It's actually physically painful. Yeah. When we are challenged with things that are outside of what we've known, it's hard. It actually hurts our brain. But if if our bottom line, and, and hear me out here, if our bottom line isn't just staying out of hell, because I think certainty, yeah. the reason why we want certainty is because we want to make sure we're going to heaven. But if that's actually not our end game, if our certain if our if our ability to be uncertain rests in knowing that we are seeking to honor Christ with the whole truth yes then we're not going to be as scared to be open minded mm-hmm, that's right we're just not yeah and i want to be full like i want to take in and eat so to speak of those things and experience other people's lives so that i can experience jesus more fully i want to eat so much and be so full that I have to unbutton my top button on my pants because we're all feasting at the table together. 100%. Like that is the, that's the spiritual picture. And not just feasting at the table, but all of us are creating the menu. Yes. Ooh. Oh, we could run so far with this analogy, but I like it. So Nicole and I and Evan, we're going to go eat some chole. We are indeed going to do that. My Indian hands have made. And uh, anyway, but we want to say that we bless you. And we hope the Lord keeps you and makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you and that he lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you peace. Amen. Amen. In the Middle East. All the time. Every Every day. Where, you know, how it's happening. That's right. Whether you're Jew or Arab, wherever you're male or female. Wherever you're enjoying peace. That's right. Let it be. Amen. All right. Peace. Out. Hey, thanks for listening. We're so glad you're here. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us for other people to find this podcast. Tell everybody you know on the planet. Tell your mama. Call Call your your daddy. Tell your daddy. Call your cousins. Let them know. That's what we should do. Oh, at Noba Podcast Everywhere.